What's up, friends and followers of War Media? This is Kyle Means. I want to put y'all up on something real cool, and that's involving our friends at TixBlitz.com, where they got all types of great offers for seats and uh, on events of all kinds. Uh, they hooked us up with a promo code that is promo code WAR, W-A-R-R. You use that and you can save 5% off all purchases at TixBlitz.com or on the TixBlitz app. That's promo code WAR, W-A-R-R, for 5% off on great seats to all events. TixBlitz provides the same great seats as other resellers, but with no service fees. None at all, y'all. I'm telling you, this is the hookup, man. We put you on. Alright. So hook so uh, support us, our friends at TixBlitz.com and never pay service fees again. That once again, TixBlitz.com, TixBlitz app available everywhere, y'all. We are back in it, in effect, running with war, broadcast show, online, basketball talk at the highest order. Your man Kyle Means here, editorial director of War Media. Alongside me here from the, for the beginning of the show today is Gabriel Wilkins, our main man, contributor to Running With War show. And uh, war media, and uh, we got a uh, Josh should be coming through uh, momentarily, and we'll also have a uh, finally for the first time on our show, our new uh, contributor to the war ready, uh, war ready Substack page, uh, doing a great job writing on the Bulls, covering them throughout their playoff run. Uh, Stephen Gardner should be joining us in the back half of the show. Just gonna give you uh, a nice little hour here uh, uh there about on this show this today because we'll have another one coming up on thursday actually uh with a couple of guests and everything uh probably go a little longer on that one but you know just hit you with a few things you know of course plenty to talk about uh as we enter this playoff season everyone's been you know a, a nice rollicking first few days of games and uh let me bring josh in he's available now Josh, what's up? Oh, I'm on mute. Whoops. Yeah, there right. you go. Yeah, yeah, there we go. What's up, fellas? <laughs> what's going yeah, on? Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, I was just still in our intro, man. Just glad you're able to join in. But, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, we're doing another show on Thursday. Uh, we should have some, um, some more of the crew as well, as well as some guests. But today, like I said, just wanted to keep, uh, keep up with things, catch up on things. Uh, Gabe and Josh, of course, uh, is as good a good a guys to talk to as any about these playoffs so far. And uh, 
yeah, I guess before we go into like what's been going on in the league and stuff, I guess there's some stories, you know, a couple stories popped up today. Uh, you know, you got the Kyrie thing, you know, him getting fifty thousand dollar fine for his actions on on Sunday, you know, uh the middle fingers to Boston crowd and whatnot. And uh, you know, the uh also, you know, more along the lines of, of what's happening on the court or what could happen on the court, uh some some more talk about the uh some uh apparent timelines for both uh, uh for both uh Donkage and um uh, uh Ben Simmons are out there possibly two returns for both of those players in their respective series. But uh you know of of the eight series that we got going on, uh you know we got Atlanta and Miami battling right now as we speak uh for game two in Miami. Uh also uh uh Minnesota and Memphis is tipping off. That's gonna be an interesting series to talk about. And um, I mean, what's the third? What's the third game tonight, gentlemen? Pelicans and Suns in Phoenix. Yeah. And okay, so you got that number one seed. Of course, Suns came out very aggressively and uh, won that first game pretty easily. But uh, of, of the you know of these early games and these early se- these series have have they have they played out so far? You know, what's been some of the things that have you know stuck to you? Uh, in regards to your observing these series, or you know, any anything that's been a particular surprise or disappointment or whatever, you know, hard to make a lot out of one game and just one game only out of all these eight series. But one team that has impressed out of the all uh, out of all eight series to me has been Minnesota. Um, the way they came out and punched Memphis in the mouth, you know, in Game One on the road, um, you know, that was a big time performance by those young guys, Anthony Edwards you know, who's never been shy on any big-time stage. You know, he balled out and sent the message to the likes of John Moran, Dylan Brooks, and those guys dropping over 30 in that game. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns, who I expected to come out aggressively um, following the the wake of the playing game where he was dealing with a lot of foul trouble and um, a bunch of struggles. You know, he, he, he played very well, and, you know, he sent the message to Jaron Jackson Jr. on that jam, so – like and Pat Bell, you know, has been a, a real calm, cool, collective veteran presence for that team um, that they needed to get over that hump. That's a team, man. If you know they can build off of the momentum that they were able to um, rally together and get in Game One, they could give Memphis a run, and possibly we could be looking at a six or seven game series. That's looking like the most interesting series in the playoffs right now. That's not between the Nets and the Celtics. Mm. Yeah, Josh. What are your early thoughts, Josh? Yeah, I agree with you, Gabe. One hundred percent. That's definitely the series, probably the most intriguing series that I want to look out and watch for. Uh, aside from obviously uh, the Nets and the Celtics, mm-hmm. um, but I think for me, if you want to talk about what stood out to me the most so far, like Gabe said, it's tough to do it after one game. But for me personally, it probably would be the Philadelphia uh, Sixers and Raptors game, just because. I as much as you would think, um, I didn't expect Philadelphia to come out the way that they have these past couple games. Um, a lot of it's because it's very un, uncertain about what Harden's going to bring to the table. You expect Joel Embiid to do the same, but you would think Toronto would put more of a fight, um, especially on defense and against uh, Philadelphia, especially considering that you actually have one of the only guys that really can at least slow down Joel Embiid a little bit in Pascal Siakam. 
and he hasn't been able to uh, seal the deal for them. Um, and and I think for me, the biggest thing or the biggest plus in all of this has been um, not just the improvement side from a coach perspective with Doc Rivers and knowing his history of not always making the best adjustments when needed in, in, in games, but Tyrese Maxey, he's, uh, he's here and he's arrived too. We talk about Anthony Edwards and what he brings to the table to the Timberwolves, and that's a big fact. But Max is a key puzzle to this to this uh, thing too with the Sixers, and he's shown that he's not shy of the big moments either. He's outperforming James Harden right now in this series, which is something you would not say um, previously. But the fact that he's outperforming and performing in a way that is helping this team, especially on the offensive end, and timely possessions, timely possessions, especially offensively with Tobias Harris as well. Him, he's shown up a little bit. Uh, especially on a defensive end, too. Um, I think that's a big – those two factors are really uh, bringing Philadelphia over the hump, which when I first looked at this series, I thought in some ways would be non-existent or be very difficult to uh, capitalize on on a consistent basis throughout the series for them. But kudos to the Sixers, man. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're playing as a top uh, – one of the top seeds in the, in the, in the conference. And Joel Embiid, Joel Embiid is showing why he's the MVP of this team. And by him going out doing that – along with the other uh, reinforcements stepping up to the plate, you know, it's, it's, it's making it a lot harder for Toronto to come out here and do their thing, um, especially when you're talking about uh, playing against Philadelphia on, on the road, which is very difficult to do in general just because of the atmosphere and, and the environment that the Philadelphia fans bring. Oh, pick, picking up on a couple things you mentioned there, Josh. Now, you know, uh, Gabe mentioned most of the series being only a game in, but – a couple of them already have had two games played. And, uh, you know, Josh mentioned just about all of them. Um, the uh, the, uh, the Golden, uh, Golden State, Denver was the only one he didn't mention, but uh, the other two, uh, Philly and Toronto, and, uh, and uh, well, I, and um, Dallas and uh, Utah. So you got, two, you got those three series right quick. You know, they're they're different different dynamics with each of those series because you got Golden State really asserting itself in this series, showing to be a, a pretty much a disastrous matchup for for Denver, uh, but Denver still at least gets to come back home uh, for their next couple games. But uh, you had you know with Dallas and Utah, you had the whole thing with Dallas not playing one second of ball with with Luka Doncic, and yet they've almost come out to a 2-0 lead in that series. They thoroughly outplayed Utah in the game, in the game two there. And, uh, you know, in the Philly, like uh, like Josh mentioned, the Philly-Toronto uh, series, Philly pretty much outclassing Toronto so far in that series. But out of those three series, would you say that they're all pretty much wrote, wrote in now? Would you pencil in a winner there? Or, or would you – do you think they're still – they still have the chance to be competitive? Oh, you can't pencil in a winner on the Mavs and Jazz series. That series can go in either way. I feel mm-hmm. like with Philly and Toronto, you know, like Josh was saying, Tyrese Maxey is outperforming James Harden. He's actually making James Harden's life a lot more easier than it's ever been before. Um, you know, granted, he has outperformed as far as like a stat, you know, standpoint, but he's really making James life easy. And he's taking a lot of pressure off of James. And, he, and James, as a result, could just play the point guard. And just seek to set everybody up and make sure everybody eats. You don't really have to do too much scoring. If you know at best get six to eight points a quarter at best. But Dallas and De- uh, in Utah, excuse me, Dallas and Utah, that series could go either way. 
Um, even even with even though you know there hasn't been any Luca yet, you don't think that they would that Dallas would have an advantage going forward with Luca, given that they played them tough without Luca. Well, I mean, when Luca inserts himself in this series, we'll see. But I, I felt like going into the series that that was a six or seven game series, whether Luca was in or not. And I think Utah showed that last night. You know, they, they have one of the worst point of attack defenses in the league. And Josh Everly on Twitter, he brought up a very interesting point, and it made me think back to a lot of matchups when I was covering the Rockets. You know, seeing the Jazz and Donovan Mitchell his first two years in the league, they always had guards that could never defend on the perimeter. And Chris Paul, career high. Who who, who is it? Who's his career high in the playoffs come against? Utah, Game Five of the Western Conference Semis in 2018. Jamal Murray exploded against the Jazz down in the bubble, was putting up 50-pointers, you know, and, and, and him and Donovan were going back and forth and eight, is them, the Jazz and seven in that series. Terrence Mann last year, playoff career high. Jalen Brunson, we saw last night, 41 points. Mm-hmm. Everybody always has career high games at the guard spot against the Utah Jazz. Why? Because their point of attack defense is one of the worst in the league. And even though Rudy Gobert makes up for a lot of the you know, mess in, in the interior, a lot of these guards are finding out ways to get to him. You can draw him out, and if you have quick foot speed, you can get around him and at least get a bucket. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie did it a couple of times last night in, in critical situations. I, I, I'm i not saying that Dallas wouldn't have the edge. With Luka, they probably can, but the only reason why Utah, I would even give Utah a fighting chance is because of Donovan Mitchell. You know, Donovan Mitchell is one of those guys – in the playoffs, I, I've seen him his rookie year. He's been in the playoffs since he was a rookie. Every time they need a big game, Donovan's always responded, even in spite of losses. Yeah, that's true, man. I, I completely wish you 100% on all of that. Um, that was going to be what I was going to say was the, the series that can definitely go either way. Um, Donovan Mitchell, like I said, you highlighted Donovan Mitchell doing doing um, what he can do best. He knows how to put the ball in the basket anytime, any given day on the court. So that's really their saving grace through all of this. Um, that can help take them to that next level. And yeah, no Luca, no problem. But even even if Luca does come back, we don't know what Luca's going to look like. Um, yeah. coming off that calf strain, he may not be able to be able to move and maneuver and play the way that he wants to play. Yep. So if that's the case, if anything, it just gives Dallas the chance to elevate for other people, other player, role players to step up. And I think game two was encouraging for them because of guys like Jalen Brunson being able to step up and score those 41 points to be able to be like, I can help carry this team. And well, without Luca on the floor, that's big for Dallas because they never had a guy that could help carry them to that next level prior to this year. And and, and, and this year, you know, in moments we've shown that Spencer Dinwiddie could be that guy. But to see Jalen Brunson be that guy, that to help with them, that can be a nice three-man punch, especially if Luka does come back somewhat healthy to play in this series. You, and we talked – and you just mentioned, Gabe, about Utah struggles. That's They're going to struggle guarding a three-guard lineup with Luka, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Jalen Brunson all on the floor, especially if Luka doesn't have to have to run the point guard that much. He can play that off guard and let Jalen Brunson run the show offensively and be able to dish that uh, dish the ball to Spencer Dinwiddie and Luka to focus on those scoring attributes, which we know they are capable of doing. So I think, if anything, bringing Luka back will open up the floor even more 
but you might actually be hurting yourself in some way if you're Dallas and not and not rushing. Uh, you might be bettering yourself and not rushing Luca back and just letting the role play, role players flow in the roles that they're go- in the ways that they're going because it's becoming so effective against this Jazz team. You don't want to mess up that flow and that chemistry. And I'm glad you said that because one thing that Dallas does in the minutes without Luca, they play at a much faster pace. Luca is a guy who is a ball pounder. He is a guy who's going to get his in isolation. He slows down the pace. And you notice they play at a much faster pace. I think the when Luca went down earlier in the year during the regular season and was in the health and safety protocol, that was a blessing in disguise for Dallas because it forced the likes of guys like a Brunson to step up and initiate and guide the offense. It put him in position to succeed, even though Dinwiddie wasn't there yet and he was still in Washington. Dorian Finney-Smith, who has also stepped up and hit some timely shots and been key on the defensive end for them, stepped up as a playmaker and evolved as well and showed that he could do some things with the basketball. And now we see Maxie Kleber, who was shooting at least under like 20% in the month of March from three-point land, cooking up like he did yesterday, knocking down some big-time catch-and-shoot looks. To me, he was just as deserving of the game ball as much as Brunson was because without his impact off the bench, um, Dallas doesn't come through in that in that game. It, it was a back-and-forth game, even though Dallas outplayed him in the fourth. But that I, I just look at Utah, man, and I got a lot of questions about them in the current and in the future going forward with that roster. Um, just yep, a lot of A people. lot of us do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if they lose this series, that's just going to really exacerbate everything. It's going it, to, you know, pretty people are saying like it's pretty much going to ensure the end of this current group that they have if they if they're unable to get past this series at all. This is this should be something that they should have taken advantage of more so than they have. And they, you know, like I said, a lot of a lot of their faults really came to the surface in that game too. But uh right quick I want to jump into another point that Josh sort of got into uh you know young players really stepping out playoff People, people who you haven't seen really produce in the playoffs, either because they they were in smaller positions or smaller roles in, in previous years, or they haven't played in the playoffs at all yet, like Anthony Edwards, Josh Mitchell, uh, jo- uh, Tyrese Maxey emerging, Jordan Poole emerging. Uh, you know, am I missing anybody? We, we, it's, it's a number guy. When, when you look at when you can look at the Memphis team and you know we'll see tonight how they rebound off the the game one loss but that's the team that again they haven't played as a unit and really and most of them don't have any any playoff experience at all you can even look at the Bulls we you know we're going to get to the Bulls in a, in a little bit a lot of the Bulls little little to no playoff experience and um uh, you know what what do you you know you guys got any thoughts though on the guys who are sort of emerging already, the people sort of, you know, a new little bit of a new class of playoff heroes maybe developing in this uh, playoffs, especially when you look at the fact that we are LeBronless again in this playoffs. And, uh, you know, he, he won't suck up so much the oxygen as usual. There is some space now for other guys to shine and, and you know, uh, make a name for themselves. I think the biggest thing that uh, needs to be discussed, uh, discussed from all this, obviously the NBA is in good hands regardless. We know the young talent here are taking things to the next level. So the NBA is in good hands in the future. 
But what makes this so ironic is, or what makes athletes so successful is not just the talent that they bring, but the situation they are in exploiting that talent. And all these players are in unique situations where the talents can be exploited in such a big way that it impacts the game and honestly leads to culture changes. Um, when you talk about Anthony Edwards and what he brings to the table, they changed that whole offense and put that thing around him, and they're going where he goes, and he's taking them to newer heights with Cat on a cat as a sidekick right now in Minnesota. Talk about Memphis. John Morant came in, so he got into the league and made that impact from the jump, and now the team is following John to the playoffs. Um, Tyrese Maxey may not be the focal guy, but, boy, you could tell in these playoffs, he's, he's, he's one of the top go-tos if Joe Bowen B ain't got that ball. He's the one that's going to take this thing to the next level. It's not necessarily James Harden all the time. It's Tyrese Maxey. They're putting these young players in ideal situations to take things to the next level. And when you, when you talk about the Bulls, yes, none of them don't have much uh, much playoff experience. But one guy who actually somewhat played was Kobe. Kobe White, as, yeah. a, as of recent, has yeah. emerged himself as a go-to player for this Bulls team when DeMar and Jack Levine aren't hidden. So – these young guys are taking are seizing the opportunities, but it's the opportunities that are given to them in the roles that they're in that's allowing them to to thrive in the situation that they currently are. And be, and you got to give coach uh, credit to the coaching staff for allowing that to happen, but also some of the veteran stars that they're playing around to allow, to put to, to help aid them in that process. Um, and I think it's the, I think it's just a testimony to what the future really holds for the league, especially when you like you mentioned, Kyle, no LeBron. Seems like this playoff is no problem when it comes to basketball talent and what we're able to watch in these in the postseason. Yeah, I'm gonna shout out Bo Monty Jones to his HBO show. He had a good bit at the beginning of the last show about uh LeBron needing to step aside. He was he was more uh, he's more forceful about it. Like LeBron being becoming the old dude at the club now, you know, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's it's good, but it, like like Josh said, a lot of uh, young talent, a lot of emerging talent in the league is is going to be fine, no matter when LeBron steps aside officially or anybody else. We you look at some of the other players, you know, uh, players who like a Damian Lillard, guys who we've sort of expected to. They uh, what Russell Westbrook. Well, you can name about four or five Lakers in that case. You know, guys who we've expected and seen play in the playoffs for years not being available in this year's playoffs uh, you know, on top of LeBron. So it, it's – and teams like Minnesota and Memphis who seem like they have the, uh, the, the chance to really define what the playoffs are going to be going forward, you know, with, the, with you know, their units that they got uh, – so uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this year's you know sort of de- develops and advances that uh, that storyline. No question. And, and one thing about it is, is I, I've been an advocate for the league showcasing a lot of these young teams on national television since the bubble. Mm-hmm. You could tell when the league was down in the bubble that Memphis was on the come up. Mm-hmm. You could tell. Uh, coming out the bubble that a team like New Orleans was on the come up, even, you know, with a non-healthy Zion and Alonzo Ball, who at the time you didn't know what his long-term fit would be there or what or how they valued him. But you could see that, you know, and now Brandon Ingram, a guy who I thought was an all-star, stepping up the way he did 
and then pressing in the play-in tournament, helping the Pelicans go from um, a nine seed into the playoffs, you know, that deserves to be talked yeah. about and give credit to as well um, for the performance that he's had. So it, it does show that the league is in a great place, and it has been in a good place for the last several years, even in LeBron-dominated postseason runs. You could kind of tell that young talent was coming, and now I think you're starting to see that young talent emerge, and that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Um, like with Memphis and John Morant, yeah, granted they lost game one, but he still had an impressive showing. And those guys, I, I think they have playoff experience, but they just don't have playoff experience as a top three seed like we're seeing them in right now with home court advantage. We, we, we're going to see them grow up and see how do they handle being one of the upper echelon teams in the Western Conference now are viewed upon as that. You know, it's like, like you're not the new kids on the block anymore. But you're the cool kids now. You got a chance to really elevate yourself and grow. How, how much stock do y'all put into the idea that teams got to lose in the playoffs to learn how to win? A lot. Yeah. I mean, I mean, history. History sort of is is on your side with that. Yeah. You you, you, you gotta get you gotta yeah. you gotta get you gotta get beat up in order to learn what it takes to win in the league. I mean, I don't I don't think it's been too many teams that have gotten together, even veteran-laden teams, when in year one and just found a way to win the championship. Right. I mean, outside of maybe the 07-08 Celtics and maybe when Kawhi did it with the Raptors, but even when Kawhi did it with the Raptors, that team of the nucleus, or the core nucleus of that team was already formed. Right. And, you know, he just was inserted within it. So, you know, it's like – and they went through – And you had, you had kind of, you know, last year with uh, CP3 sort of being – yeah. Uh, the, you know the 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 icing on the cake or the cherry yeah. on top. Jay Crowder also uh, helped with that as well with the changing of, of the maturing of that team into becoming a Western Conference champion. Yeah, yeah, I completely. It's, agree. But it's rare. It's rare though. It, it is rare. Like most teams, you know. I, I'll let you go in a second. About just going over the history. When you look at most, just about any team that has won a championship, you can see. In the like the immediate years ahead of that, they typically lost at some point in the playoffs, either in the finals or in their conference. You know, we, we of course famously with the Bulls, they had to get past the Detroit and every and in the East before they could have their team even turn in the finals. And and you know, of course, so many teams couldn't get past Mike once he got to that that uh that that mountain that peak, and you know uh yeah, it's it's. You know, it's it's pretty much the, the the applied history for all championship teams in the NBA. But you know, like we say, things are changing in the league. The, the league is not the same exactly as it was 20, 30 years ago. So maybe we could see possibly one team take that rocket ship, that sort of NFL like worst to first or close to it sometime. And I wouldn't be surprised if it happened at least once in the next 10 years or so. But as of now, the history is still what it is as far as you got to, like I say, take your lumps, as, as Sean said. We've seen it in the last 20 years. I mean, think about – I don't think the 07, 08 Celtics get enough credit for what Danny Ainge was able yeah. to do that roster and convert that from a lottery-bound team into a 60-plus win team and, and win in, in one year, even though it was with three all-star veterans – those guys have never played before, you know. That, yeah. I, I, I think I think that's I, I think that's kind of the thing. Like people, you know, people will look at that and be like, "Yeah, that's that first 
big three, and that's you know you had those guys at the score, right? But you know you're right. It, it took a, a complete overhaul of that team, and they were able to go and beat a very credible, uh, you know, credible Laker team that year to get that championship, and you know. That team definitely the year before would not have come close to doing that with or with or without Garnett probably. And then I think about the 14-15 Cavs. You know, even though they lost the finals in six to Golden State, yeah. I don't think I think a lot of people forget that they had the number one overall pick going into that season. With yeah. they, yeah, and they traded right. him to get Kevin Love, a trade that I knew was going to happen like a month before it actually happened because I was talking to a lot of people about it, but. Like for LeBron to do what he did coming over there with a young team that had never touched the the playoffs or sniffed a, a moment of playoff basketball and lead them to the finals, that was something that I had never seen done before. You know, yeah. and and at the time I had been like that was 2015, like that was that was a big deal, and it still is a big deal when you look at it in hindsight, even years later. One thing, one thing I'll push back on though is that. And you know, like I say those were sort of one-year turnarounds, and they both occurred mainly with the acquisition of an all-time great for Williams to the next. What I'm, what I'm, what I think we still need to see is a team built much like Memphis has been built over time. That you know, put itself together. I do, and you pretty much, yeah, it pretty much from within from the ground up. It, yeah, from the ground up, like built itself up, and they yeah, Spurs. Yeah, Spurs are good. We kind of already did. I don't know if you want to count the Detroit Pistons when they had Chauncey and Rip and those guys before they got Sheed. That could be a team that had no superstars on it that wanted in that. that well, yeah, that's a that's, that's an outlier. Yeah, in and that way, also, that is an outlier. And you technically have Golden State too because you drafted Steph, you drafted Clay, you drafted Draymond, you drafted Harrison Barnes. You yeah. had no other stars That's in the team that you That's brought true. in to develop for that team, and they and, and they won before they got there. They won before they got, they got KD. KD. They yeah. were they were definitely an organically grown team, and that was a team. But they 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 also team. lost. Like I say, they did lose though in the yeah. playoffs before. But I'm just I'm talking about like a t- like, like I say, it's it's hard for that to happen for a team that like I say in their first time hitting the playoffs. That's what you know. You have your first time hitting the playoffs. You you may spend a couple years gestating and being you know being sorry. That's how most teams get better. They they build a couple years up. They have a a player, a franchise player that they build around, and he he becomes confident and grows as a player, and to the point where they become an all pro level guy, all star, of course. And then you make that strike as soon as you get in the playoffs, not just. Not where you lose in the first round one year, lose the second round, lose in the conference finals a couple of years, then win. Like that first time, like like I said, this that's what it would be if Memphis won this year. That's that's what I'm talking about. Like if Memphis won this year. But then but then remember last year, they got knocked out in five to the Jazz. So this isn't their first go round technically. Oh, you're they, right, you're right, you're right. They, you're they right. were playing team last year. They they were the playing team the last two years. The first year they lost to Portland in a playoff game in a playing game in the bubble, and then they well, and then okay. they beat, and then they beat, Go, they beat San Antonio and they beat Golden State to get the AC in the West get last the AC, year, yeah. and then, and then they won game one and then they lost the last four, but so they they they've even lost in the play. I mean, 
it's part of the process more. That's hard to do with young guys, man. Like I remember, yeah. Yeah. I remember when Golden State got to their first playoff run. And it's funny because I, I actually had a lot of homies from the Bay when I was in college and I was talking with them that year, going into that year, watching them in summer league, watching Clay and Dre and, and Steph was in the I'm like, man, they really assembling a solid roster where under Mark, you know, they can really do something and get to the playoffs and make some noise. They beat Denver in round one, but then they went up against San Antonio and lost in six. Then the next year they lost to LA and uh, the Clippers in seven. Then they finally got over the hump. And then, you know, they made a couple of additions on the margin and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right, you're right. Well, I guess uh, I, I forgot I, I did sleep on the other, the past days. I guess it would be more actually on point if it was the if it was the Timberwolves, even though Cat has been in the playoffs. But Cat with William, with, with Edwards, I mean, and, and Russell, you know, that and, and, and that has that. See, that's their first time. No, nah, like, Elo's been to the playoffs because he led the right. Nets team to Dover. I'm, I'm talking about Minnesota. with with Minnesota. Oh well, yeah, with Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, this was trade, he was a trade piece too. He was the yeah, guy that they yeah. acquired from Golden State. You know, they gave up a lot to get him. So even though their roster, for the most part, you can say has been somewhat organically grown in the sense that they have two number one picks that were drafted there. If you exclude Cat and you exclude Anthony Edwards and Jaden McDaniels, most of their roster isn't homegrown. It's kind of like Minnesota is similar to like the White Sox in a sense. Like, yeah, you have a lot of homegrown prospects with the White Sox organization, but then for every homegrown prospect, you got guys that were acquired via trade, via free agency, and so forth like that that really made the roster elevate itself from being a perennial loser to now being a play a player in the American League. So I mean that it's kind of similar in a sense. But if Minnesota did win, that would be big. But then that would be like on some 1998 New York Knicks type of stuff. A 99 New York <laughs> Knicks type of stuff where like they was an AC and then they got to the 99, finals. yeah. That's hard as hell to do. Like it's only and, one and that year. that was that was a random year because you know yeah, of, the, of lockout. the lockout and stuff. Right. Yeah. Like in a, in a, in a typical NBA season well you know, you it's it's like I said, we like we've been saying it's 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 hard. It's hard for a young team, a team without playoff experience, to you know to be able to jump all those hurdles and get itself to the position to win, and then have the fortitude to win when you got to do it. So that's that's in 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 a way we're sort of dealing with that here in Chicago. We do have a couple of players with some extensive. Uh, you know, playoff you know experience. Uh, one in particular with, with a lot of experience, he might want to he might want to strike from the record. But uh, <laughs> most of the team, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But a lot of the team, of course, doing it for the first time. And when we talk about doing it for the first time, breaking your V card, as it were, on Runner with War is our man Stephen Gardner. What's going on, brother? What's going on, y'all? What's going on? Just got, got off you on the move. Ready to get yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll put you up, put you with the more work, man. I've been, I've been, I've been putting you through, giving you a lot of work recently, man. You've been, you've been, you've been, you've been uh, hitting it hard, man. So I appreciate what you've been doing, man. Steven has been writing for us on our Substack page already. 
He's been doing some great stuff, you know, really breaking down the games well uh, and breaking down the Bulls well. And shout out to Josh, too, man. I want uh, Josh got a piece up now on the page. Uh, he previewed he, he he previewed all the series and uh, gave his uh, gave his uh, you know predictions on the series. And I, I believe for the Bulls, you you had them losing in the gentleman's suite, right, Josh? Both of you had them losing in the gentleman's suite, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> <In the brooms. laughs> not much hope. Not much hope for the guys, but. You know, we, as as we look towards this game two that coming up tomorrow, game one, it was a it 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 started out like it was going to be a complete wash for the for the Bulls, but they showed some heart and put themselves in a position where almost where they could have won, but they were at least there at the end of the game for the most part. You know, what what are you guys overall thoughts on the way that they stuck it out and you know showed some heart? Does it signal anything that's possible for the rest of the series and, and them competing well with the Bucks, or is it just a, was it just in a, a, a fluke type of thing, Stephen? What, what, what are your thoughts? And and I again say is you could get Stephen's uh, complete thoughts on the game one now on War Ready, but uh, here's his thoughts right here. <laughs> well, I feel like the Bulls definitely dodged a bullet. In game one, because that was far, far, far from the bull or the Bucks' best, uh, best proverbial punch that they can give, especially in the playoff setting. So that's that leaves me weary because I feel like that was probably the best chance that the Bulls are gonna have at any point in this series to come away with a win. Mm-hmm. I predicted that it would be it would be game one or game three that they got their win in, and it's looking a whole lot like game one was exactly that opportunity, and they. Unfortunately, matched the same energy that the Bucks had with being inconsistent as far as their flow offensively and having multiple defensive lapses and just never really stringing together any like sustainable success over the duration of the game, and then ended up still being out executed in the end. So I don't know. I said gentleman sweep, but that gentleman sweep is looking extremely weary at this point in time. So you think you think essentially that the Bucks played the worst game and, and that they, they won't play a game as bad, bad as game one. And so it, it tightens the rope up even more on the Bulls because, you know, if, if they can't beat them at that worse, they're not going to beat them anything at any other level going forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. They took – it was just like even the littlest thing, like Giannis, I believe, scored one point in the fourth quarter. That's – that yeah. is – you could – you could put a parlay or a bet or whatever on that because that's not going to happen the rest of the playoffs. Chris Middleton, I think, scored maybe three points in the fourth quarter and, like, maybe seven or eight in, in the hat, in the second half alone. That's likely not going to happen again. And then just in general, like, their shooters, Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, all of those guys were pretty much, for the most part, they were off um, compared to what we've grown accustomed to them, what got them a championship last season. So you put that context to it, and then you also look at, the fact that their defense wasn't even as connected as it typically is. It was more so the Bulls were just ice cold, but the Bulls had a lot of open looks. And specifically yeah. from the spots that I mentioned would be like the points in the game where they could take advantage being from above the break in the three-point line and, of course, in the mid-range. And neither one of those two entities were working in the Bulls' favor. So you bring all that in context, 
And yeah, it's not looking, it's not looking too good. I'm not gonna lie, I'm a little scared <laughs> for these next few games. But I'm hoping they can do something as far as making adjustments and also making shots in general that can help reverse the fortunes, at least in my mind. And all you can ask for is a chance. And then at that point, you see what DeMar and Zach can do in the clutch. Gabe, Josh, what you, what you guys think? I mean, if I was an assistant, go ahead, Josh. You got, you got it. I was, I was going to say, like, I agree with everything Steve's saying. Um, I think for me, what one of the most things that glared out to me in game one was the fact that their shot, their shot selection was so bad, especially down the stretch. Like, Man. playoff basketball is such a different style of basketball. You can't just run and gun everything like they're accustomed to doing all season long. It slows down in the half court. You have to play excellent defense. You got to execute offensively. And when you and, – and, and you have – and the crazy part is the Bulls have the players – that can do that. But you have to be selective and very efficient with what you in your socks in your shot selection to not only put yourself in the best position to score, but to also eliminate Milwaukee's chances of taking advantage of those second chance opportunities and, and extra offensive possessions on the floor. And I feel like the Bulls struggled so badly in that that it gave Milwaukee more chances than they needed to actually extend the game longer and put the Bulls in an even worse situation than they could have been in. Um, and that's not going to work in the playoffs, especially against a, a championship-poised team like the Bucks. They've been through this rodeo before, so they know what to do. And give credit to Mike Gutenholzer, the head coach of the Bucks. He's been known all of his coaching career as someone to not make adjustments. That has changed since last season in that post, especially in that finals, that helped them get that championship. And you can see the adjustments they made throughout this season and into the playoffs which is something that Billy Donovan has not lived up to. And that showed throughout the playoffs um, and, and, and in game one. So the Bulls are playing just like, in a way, I expected to. First-time players, first-time playoffs. And you got to iron out those kinks along the way. And once you iron out those kinks, then the Bulls will be better. But that that I agree with Steve. That, that was probably the game they should have won. I think I agree that the best chance should be game three. Because Madhouse on Mad Madhouse on Madison is completely different in the Flintcoffs playoff time, especially since you haven't been doing that since the three alphas. That's something that you know Bulls fans can be excited for. But at the same time, it is the playoffs, and you got to play like you are you meant to be there. And the Bulls struggled in that in Game One. Hopefully, they'll learn from that as they transition to Game Two, and for sure Game Three when they play in front of the home fans at United. Yeah, it's 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 the two that game is gonna be on ABC on Friday both night, which mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, both of the both of the home games gonna be on mm-hmm. ABC. But the the it, the the Friday night one was interesting to me. So I'm, I'm I'm I think it shows that you know the Bulls were, were wanted in this postseason. You know, uh, it is it, meaningful when the Bulls have that spotlight on them. But uh, yeah. If I was an assistant coach on Sunday night on the bull stand, I I, I would have been PO'd just just straight up mm. because even though it's even though it's a young team and yeah they they did show that that they were young in, in every sense of the word. When you look at the stat sheet from that game, they forced twenty one turnovers. Okay, you want to know how many fast break points they had? Five. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That to me, yep. 
was one of the most telling signs of the game. And whenever they forced the turnover, you know what they did not do? That I know damn well if Lonzo was on the floor, he would have done. They didn't push it. That's what's got to change going into tomorrow night in game two. Um, if they really want to win. When you get a, a rebound, you got to push it. And they didn't. And, and then on top of that, we, we've talked about the Bulls all year. One of their biggest struggles is rebounding. The rebound is that. 58 Milwaukee, 53 Bulls. So Milwaukee was plus five in the rebounding category, and they won by seven. And I've been saying it all year. And, and we was talking about it ourselves, uh, me, Cal, and Sean Terry, after that Clippers game. The team who typically leads the night and rebounded is the team that's usually going to win in the playoffs. And talk about shot selection, Josh. Vucevic took 10 threes. Now, I understand some of those threes he has no choice but to take because one thing about Milwaukee's defense is designed to funnel you into the paint and bring a double with either Brooke or Giannis, who just flies around. And Brooke is the one that really commands the, the middle area in the paint. But they want you to take the threes. And as Steven alluded to, when you get those threes, you have to knock them down. But I do have an issue with Vucevic yeah. taking 10 threes because there were times where he was taking threes against mismatches that he should have been seeking to back down. And this team does not need Vucevic taking 10 threes a night with the personnel that they have on the floor. They need him in the interior within 10 to 15 feet at best. It's one thing to take maybe three to five, but when you're taking 10, you settling. And then yeah. you know Zach. And, and, and for Zach to go in a press conference and say, I didn't think that the shot that I took was a bad shot. In that situation, that's a bad shot. Mm-hmm. Even if you even if you make it, yeah, fans will live with it because you made it. But that's a bad shot. Your shot selection this time of year has to improve. If it does not, you will continue to, to be where you've always been, and that's on the outside looking in. And, and this is a team that I, I really felt like out of everybody that played the other night, the Bulls' two best players were Caruso and Kobe White. Caruso for his defensive yeah. effort and Kobe White for being able to knock down catch-and-shoot threes. And in my opinion, Kobe didn't call for the ball enough. Nope. Because if I was him in the fourth, like they really should have been closing with Kobe. I hate to say that. I know that's a questionable call because of his defense, but the way he played, they wouldn't have had the lead if it wasn't for Kobe and Caruso. Those guys bought the energy. The Rosen, he forced a lot of shots. Like you're looking off guys and you're taking a lot of ill-advised shots. You know, if you don't have it, man, go to the guys that do. Zach was hot early on. And he had it, but foul trouble. Once he got in a foul trouble, he stopped attacking the rim. Mm-hmm. You can't, you cannot continue to do that. You you have to push the ball up on Milwaukee and make them pay. And, and I do, I agree with you, Stephen. Milwaukee played their worst basketball that they're gonna play this entire series. They don't really respect the Bulls either, and that's the thing that's sad. And it doesn't take a blind man to see that they don't respect them. Mm-hmm. Like they they look at the Bulls as pushovers. It's no different than the way the Packers look at the Bears. <laughs> you, you push overs, and, 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 and it's gonna take some. It's gonna take somebody on that team that's a vet to fight back and be like, "Hell no, we're not going for that." Mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 and it's gonna like, yeah, they could win game three. They could be in game two, 
But in game three, yeah, I give him a chance in game three because of the crowd. But then again, whether that crowd is on 10 or not, you playing a defending world champions. They're trying to repeat. They're about business. And anytime, you know, they want to lose in the, on, the, on the final day of the regular season, rest their starters, I mean, it makes sense. They own you. You're only 90 minutes up the road. Mm-hmm. You know, we ain't got to travel that far to kick y'all ass. You know, like, at, at this point, at, at this point, man, if you the Bulls, you, you got to ask yourself, where's your fight? Where's your fight? And, and Billy, yeah. he's, he's, he's going to get a lot of leeway this year because he had a lot of guys hurt. No matter how this story ends, he's going to get a lot of leeway. But it is fair to ask questions about his coaching ability, even in spite of that. Because yeah. after this season, guess what? The pressure is magnified. This is Chicago. The city wants to see a winner. You know, whether you got homegrown talent or not, they want to see a winner. And what AK and Mark have tried to build here has been pretty solid through the first couple of years. They got a foundation in place. But they they got to – tomorrow, they got to push it. Defense got to be there. You got to make shots, especially the wide-open shots yep. on the three-point line. You got to make them. And, and this time of year, you ain't making shots, you could. Man, you ain't lying, Gabe. I mean, it's – is a lot like I said, you, you you hit a you hit a lot on the head there, man. And I mean, with that said, with all that said, do we see this as a I mean, you, you can't really see it as a must win because the expectations aren't really there. And you still do have two games in a row at home, even if you fall down 0 2. But I mean, I, I'll get I'll, I'll let y'all say that. What what do you think? On the on the on that range of must win, does do the Bulls sit with this next game? Do is it simply about making a statement? Like because like what Gabe says, if you're dealing with a lack of respect inherent from your opponent, you got to do something physically or emotionally to smack them in the mouth. You know, you got to make some type of statement. You can't just go out and and just play a ball and hope that everything comes together, which. So many times, so many times, so many ways. It seemed like that's how the Bulls were expecting things to be this year. For that, if they just go out and play and do what they do, eventually they'll come through. But you know, as they got further along throughout the year, they found out that that's not going to be the case. They need to do more. And if they're not matching energy, if they're not, if they, you know, they're not matching intensity. You know, even them missing their shots. Even with even with them missing the shots that they did, if they had more intensity, more you know, more physicality to their game, they maybe would have got more balls off mm-hmm. the rebound. Maybe they got more 50-50 balls. Maybe they would have got more points in transition, which gave brought to our attention so well. That's that's when they've shown themselves to be more effective this year. Is when they've gotten out and they made teams run, and they've exhibited their legs and their ability to to play a 94 foot game, you know, plays so many plays we've seen like Javante green, get the ball back out of almost impossible positions, you know, get the ball back for the bulls Caruso getting his hands, uh, you know, in passing lanes and stuff. And, you know, we, and we saw a good, we saw parts of that too in, the, in game one. That's what allowed the bucks to be contained under a hundred points in that game. Mm-hmm. You know, the Bulls' defense played as well as it did 
in weeks leading up to that, but it wasn't enough. But you know, Steve, I give it back to you. You know, what what do you think? What do you think the pressure is? Where does it lie most for the Bulls going into this uh, second game? You made some very great points, and so did Gabe, and so did Josh as well. <clears throat> I'm with you, Kyle, and that you can't say it's a must win because it's only game two. But kind of one of the little monikers that I use to like make the difference between the two. There's must win games when like your back is against the wall after that, and then there's just gotta have it games. And this game, too, is definitely a gotta-have-it game because, you know, if you go down 0-2, even if you're going back home, I mean, they've made your house their house for the last, what, 13, 14 games that Giannis has played the Bulls in his career? Good point, yeah. You know? So it's it's not like your home court advantage is the typical home court advantage because you've allowed your opponents to grow so comfortable in the confines of your home that they come in like Rick James and they put their feet up on your couch <laughs> they leave dirt marks all over, and you know, yeah. they asking you to bring them stuff. You Buy know, another one, you're rich. It's the energy, you see it. That's <laughs> yeah. literally that you can literally see it in the demeanor of starting with Giannis, and then it trickles down to every other player on the roster. They're like, okay, Giannis is this comfortable, and he's doing this and that. I'm that comfortable, and I'm gonna do this and that too. And now the whole team is, you know, jiving while they're putting the Bulls, you know, putting the Bulls down in front of their home crowd again. So I feel like it's definitely a gotta have a game. And there's like specific adjustments that I would like to see them make starting defensively. And first of all, with the double teams, when you're double teaming guys, the rotations that flow across the court from the weak side, well, from the strong side, then following over to the weak side, there shouldn't be open shot after open shot after open shot conceded after yeah. one pass is made out of the double team. That completely negates the reason for double teaming. Like, yeah, you want to get the ball out of Giannis's hands, but you're not getting it out of his hands to concede an open three pointer to shooters that are shooting that above league average. That's not the, at least I would hope that's not the game plan. So what I would like for, for to see from them is one, instead of allowing Giannis to get clean catches in the post, they should instead of letting them catch it, they should they should um, front the post and make them throw those passes over their heads. And then, because nine times out of ten, the person behind Giannis in protecting the rim is typically either Tristan Thompson or even more often than him is Vucevic. Allow Vucevic and Tristan to then take that responsibility off the catch. And they can rotate to the backside or find someone, whoever's open as the defense rotates over. That's like, a, it's called a scram switch. That's That would be the, a lot more effective um, execution of a game plan and double teaming to not just concede open threes on the weak side because, again, all those players on that team, like Wesley Matthews wasn't on that team last year, but he's got a championship within the past two seasons. Like, he's battle-tested, and he's going to hit those shots over and over again when he's wide open. So, like, little tweaks like that, and then also out of double teams, when they're double-teaming off of um, pick-and-rolls, the ball handlers, they have to step up more in the paint on the roller, that guy that's the release valve, the outlet man. Because nine times out of ten on on Sunday when Brooke Lopez caught the ball off of double teams from Middleton and uh, Holiday off of ball screens, he could take like two, three dribbles from the free throw line to basically the restricted area, unattested, like un, like unaccounted for. Like that's not – like you don't double team to concede, you know, these big gaps in situations where the offense is still at a high advantage. Like that negates the entire purpose of it. So that's just what I want to see from them in this, this – um, what do I call it? 
Um, not must win, but in this gotta have it game. Gotta have it, yeah. There you go. But yeah, yeah, y'all know about those scram switches, don't you? Yeah. That's the that's the type of analysis you get from, from Steven, man. That's that's what you get when you, you uh, mess with a kid like this. So keep reading him <laughs> on uh on War Ready. Don't miss his next his next review when he uh he'll be writing about the the game too. And uh we'll try to have that out, you know, as soon as possible after the game. But Steve, man, I, I you know, this is your first time on the show and everything. I want to introduce you a little bit to the audience who haven't read you and everything yet. Give give a little bit about your background and 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 you know, uh you know, as a in basketball and writing, you know, and, and what you uh, looking forward to doing, you know, uh, being with us or in general as a writer. Okay. Thank you for the opportunity again, Kyle. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I want to give my a pleasure. Gabriel as well as Josh. This is my first time meeting y'all as well. And anybody in the audience, peace and blessings. My name is Stephen Gardner. I'm from Maywood, Illinois, about 15 minutes west of Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> That's me. That's me. 708, baby. What's happening? What's happening? That's my dead neck of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's where I'm from. That's home for me. That's always gonna be home for me. I've been playing ball um since I was four. I've been watching ball since I was like two. Um my mom always reminds me that when you I remember home, you remember watching basketball when you were two, Steven. Hey, my mom is my mom is my release valve for that. She always tell me what I was doing back then. I don't remember it. But she, she did mm. tell me, she always reminded me that when I was like three or four years old, when the Bulls was at their peak with MJ and everybody, she said that I could recognize all the players by their face and I would call them by their names through the TV and everything. And I would always get my grandma and my grandpa laughing because it's like, how does this little boy just don't even know what's really going on? Just, you know, disattached to the game. So my love <laughs> for the game goes all the way back to before I can even remember and um, my desire, so I went to I went to college. I went to Illinois State University, graduated in 2018 with a major in sports journalism. So my desire and all of my all of my efforts and all these deposits that I'm making as a writer and as a creative is to eventually manifest that desire into a career and start getting you know getting paid full time for for all these skills that I've acquired over the past five six years. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm working on a few different internships, including with War Media, and just you know trying to continue creating content, growing, learning. Can never can never learn enough. You ever stop learning, you're not living. So I'm just trying to continue to apply all the all the learnings that I'm acquiring over this time and honing my skills in and being patient on this marathon of mine. I definitely appreciate you, man, and what you bring. You see, you've been bringing a lot, you know, already, man. And you know, I definitely appreciate your writing and your your knowledge for the game, man. You really bring a lot to the table, okay. and we definitely want to bring you on. Cause like I say, this is where we build, you know, uh, definitely our, our our basketball minds here. Uh, you know, uh, Gabe and Josh. I've been here for a while, and uh, Drew as well, and, and Chris has been from the beginning of, of this show has been with us. So, yeah, we, we definitely want to make sure that you get on the show and, and, and contribute as well because you definitely know what you're talking about. Yes, sir. I, like I said, I appreciate the opportunity, and I'm just ready to I'm ready to work. I'm a worker. I'm a worker. So I want to compile yeah. as, much, as much experience and network with everybody as much as I can, you know, so we can all elevate. Yeah, yeah, that's it. There you go, man. Appreciate that as well. And that's his tag. There, that's your tag on 
on Twitter, right? And uh, that's and, my tag uh, on all social media platforms. All social media, okay. Yes, so yeah, definitely, definitely keep up with him and what he's doing, whether it's with us or anyone else. And um, before we go, uh, you know, I'm gonna, uh, like I said, we're gonna keep us too long today, but I just wanted to, to make a little mention of the the award finalists, and uh, you know that already they've given out the award for defensive player of the year with Marcus Smart in Boston, and uh, I know I've seen, you know, we've seen some uh, talk online uh from amongst our, us and our contemporaries already about some of these finalists when you look at the coach of the year you got taylor jenkins eric spolstra and monty williams so that memphis miami is phoenix represented there uh you know uh it's a improved player most improved garland for cleveland john morant and jonte murray uh, a lot of people surprised that jordan Poole didn't make that that finalist List there for most improved and uh, MVP. Of course, so much talk about MVP uh, throughout the year. The you know who you know for a long time you know it's been five or six people seemingly in the mix, but the only three who have a chance at this point is Giannis, Joel Embiid, and Nikola Jokic. Uh, so you got two uh, past MVPs and uh, Joel, a lot of people's favorite. To finally get one this year, and uh, rookie of the year, Scotty Barnes from the Rock, Toronto, K. Cunningham for Detroit, and Evan Mobley of Cleveland. Six man of the year, Tyler Hero, Cam Johnson, and Kevin Love. Uh, you know, a few vets there, and uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, any any anything interesting that jumps out jumps out to y'all with those awards? Like I said, you know, already we got defensive. Uh, going to Marcus Smart, you know, if you want to talk about that as well. Uh, yeah, like I say anything that jumps out amongst those class of players and those uh finalists. Ja getting nominated for most improved player. How did that happen? Mm. You know, don't get me wrong, <laughs> John Morant's a hell of a player, he's an all star in this league, deservedly so. But that was improvement that we expected to see, that was improvement that. Every year since he's been in the league, he's improved as a player. You know, Darius Garland, I would say the same about. Um, It's one thing when you're a lottery pick who has shown steady signs of improvement year after year after year. It's another thing if you're a lottery pick, maybe like let's say on the level of a Marvin Bagley who didn't have the best environment. You drew a couple of DMPs and then all of a sudden, you know, you rise up and you find your footing in the league. But I felt like Honestly, for most improved player, we need to widen the pool for that. Um, you can't just give – you just can't have three finalists for that award. Like, we talked about how Jordan Poole is a deserving candidate, and he's shown that through the first two games of the playoffs and all season long. But Miles Bridges had a hell of a season. Yes. You know, and I, and I, and I think he deserves some credit and should be a nominee for that award. I just want to know what's the criteria for some of these awards. Um I wonder who the league is giving voting privileges to, um, not to respect people's media credentials, but I just would love to know. And I would love to know, and I would love to see more media members share their votes and put their, their names in front of their votes and explain why they're voting in that manner. You know, because like with, with the MVP, based on what I saw or uh, seen on, on the Twitter, you know, 
side of, and everything in the, in the final tallies, it's looking like it's going to be Jokic. And it's looking like we're going to have an MVP winner, sort of similar to the 06-07 season when Dirk won it, where he's going to be getting an award after getting knocked out in round one. <laughs> and that's <laughs> not a pretty scene. You know, and, and I, I just I, I just want to know, like, I mean, I, I'm not knocking it. And then it's like, what, what what's our criteria? What's our levels? Because to me, I feel like Embiid is becoming the um, the runner up candidate of the 2020s decade in a way that was similar to the James in the 2010s and from the mid to late 2010s, where you're going to start seeing him in the MVP race every year. But in spite of bettering and, and getting, you know, elevating his play, you start to wonder, well, damn, what does he have to do to win it? Like, what's our criteria for MVP? Because we shaking the we shaking the needle and the balance each and every year. And I know it's a narrative-driven award, but it's like, come on, man. Like, what, what are we really, what are we really doing? Because you got to take that vote seriously when you have it. That seems to be the the most consistent thing about it. That is this about narrative and that when you talk about something that's you know like that, that's sort of it's it's not something that sticks every year. It's not something that lands the same way. It's fluid, and it like I said, changes from year to year. It changes when different writers get get votes and get a get ability to vote, and others sort of fall back and and aren't there anymore. You know, some people, some people like to challenge the idea of the vote. Some people fall in line with the with the rest of their peers. Well, most do that. And uh, you know, it, it, once once you get to a like with every generation, like you know, you have those guys who seem like they should win it every year, or at least be in contention. But there, you also have your upsets. You have your uh, your your eras where somebody pops up and. You know, and in, in hindsight, somebody looks back and people want to look back and be like, you know, well, you know, how did Steve Nash win two in a row? Or, you know, people want to question people like Derrick Rose with his year, but they don't. They lack the they lack the context of seeing those years when they when they played out and how things you know how things were judged, what was valued in those given years and why those why these people got the they just weren't there. They you weren't outside is you know is what we like to say. <laughs> and a lot of people on the challenge stuff like that. But but they're they're also you can have arguments for almost all those years too because you know maybe LeBron was the the best player. Well, there was no argument. LeBron was the best player in the world when Rose won. But, you know, Rose was also the only person who kept them from winning five MVPs in a row. Should anyone ever win five MVPs in a row in the NBA? I mean, I don't know. That's another question. So, you know, uh, I don't know. But I, I, I'll throw it back to you guys about, you know, what your thoughts on MVP or any of the other uh, awards. It's politics nation. That's all it is, man. Uh, <laughs> politics nation. I that's why I don't, I don't look forward to these, you know, end of the season awards at all, just because of that and every, everything you guys are saying. Um, because we don't know exactly what the standard is for each award that's being given. There's no solidified standard. If you talk about most valuable, literally, like you take that person off a team, and that person that team goes to crap without them. Yeah, Joel Embiid's probably going to be number one on that list. Um, 
I mean, and I, he's worthy of the of that of that award. You want to do, do the same thing, defensive player of the year? Yeah, Marcus Smart probably is well deserving of that. But Mikel Bridges for sure. If he wouldn't, if you didn't play that X factor glue, Suns wouldn't be number one in the Western Conference right now. So it's like it's it's a, what is the needle? Like Gabe talks about, what is that needle? What is that deciding factor that of what of what valuable really means to a team in each of these awards? It's not solidified. It's too opinionated. So based on that, opinion, what's what's valuable? What's improved? What's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's there's no solidified standard. So you're gonna run into this all the time. And I don't, and I don't have time to be sitting there playing politics nation with everybody trying to figure out who chose who and who chose what. You know, that's that's just not. That's, I don't you just you just bowing out the whole process. Yeah, forget all that. I'll have my picks, and I'll tell you why I have my picks. But right. if you ask of me, if they ask of me, I'll tell you. But at the same time, since we don't have a unified, a unilateral um, standard for what each award means, like truly means, and 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 we're not going to know. We're going to have too much of this up and down situation that we're going through now, and I just don't have time for it. Now, I, I don't, so I don't look forward to it. I just, okay, cool. You won an award. Congratulations. No, I need, I need to see if it meets my standard of what that looks like. And if it does, great. If it doesn't, yeah, we'll have a discussion. And you can have your own debate show with me. You know, Kyle, I can go. I can do that all day. So we do that. Be good. But outside of that, yeah, whatever. Y'all can have it. I'm just here for the playoffs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely. I do, do. What, well, I'll say right quick, you think, you know, because there are a lot of people who think that these awards should extend into the playoffs as what, in particular, the MVP, a lot of people say that, but you all agree with that? You think they should stay, stick to the regular season game? Stick to the regular season. Just don't move the needle. Like you want to move this needle for Jokic and I I get it. I understand he didn't have Jamal Murray. I understand he didn't have Michael Porter Jr. I understand being able to keep them within the top six where they didn't have to get in the playing round was phenomenal, you know, was a phenomenal job. But then again, if we're going to say that Nikola Jokic is the MVP of the league, then why didn't Kobe Bryant win it in 05-06 over Steve Nash when he led the league in scoring? They were a seven seed that year. Kobe – had a, a a damn good year for like then why D Wade didn't win in 08 09 when he led the league in scoring over LeBron like where where are the, where are the parameters like last time I checked before Harden got to Philly Joel Embiid was still top dog in the race we were we were, we, we then all of a sudden we want to switch it when Harden come and say well <laughs> oh, he got the job easy no and then I what I would love to know is even though international players are carrying this league what is our obsession with international players and their stories? Do we really like them because of the way that they play or do we like them for the story? Because, and, and then like when you say, well, we, we shouldn't have an MVP that's won three to five times. I mean, in the eighties you did in the eighties, Bird won three straight. I don't think Larry Bird was the best player in the NBA in the eighties, three years straight. Now I could be wrong. I was born in the, in the early nineties, but when I look back at the eighties and basketball, I really have a difficult time as great as Larry Bird was. And I'm going to say he deserved two out of the three, but how did he get three when it was some years magic could have got a couple, you know, like it's just, it's all, it, it, we, 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 we play politics so much with the MVP award 
And I think we lose meaning of what most valuable player means. Like it's in the it's in the name. Mm-hmm. But we 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 oversimplify it as we do with a lot of things in this country. <laughs> Steve, I let you I let you get off get off your rounds. Then we'll, we'll wrap it up. <laughs> All right. Well, to answer your first question, I feel like I feel like the regular season awards need to stay in the regular season, and I also feel like there needs to be. Uh, independent segment for playoff awards because then it's going to be valued differently. Like, of course, yeah, you're going to have players that aren't qualifying for the MVP award playing at 64, 65 games that's needed to qualify for the finalists and, you know, the respective regular season awards. Those players are then going to most likely be healthy and performing at the peakest of their peaks in the most valuable games being in the playoffs. So if you have, if you have two – That is something that you have in hockey. Yeah, you have yeah, your regular yeah. season MVP and your playoff MVP. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like that's we're naturally progressing towards that with the NBA, and I think it'll be it'll be a lot more healthy for the general discourse because people go up in arms and almost flame out completely trying to engage themselves in these conversations about who should win this award, and it's more so even less than who should win it. It's more so the point they're making is why someone else shouldn't win. We're looking at <laughs> nice, we always nice put a point of emphasis on this being the most talented, most skilled generation collectively yep. of, of athletes in the NBA. So when we come to bringing context to that and we have an opportunity to appreciate all of these talents, we instantly go to pinning one against the other or saying that this guy is great and this mm-hmm. guy's just all right. But really, all of these guys are great. All these yeah. guys are greater than great. And they're playing some of the best basketball again that, the game is ever the sport has ever seen, but we're trying to diminish one to upgrade the other. Like it's just it's just not healthy. It's not healthy for the sport. Comparison is the thief of joy. And like my guy Cole always say, act like two <laughs> legends can't coexist. Two yeah. legends can't coexist. It's just a matter of your perspective on how you're going about speaking on them and comparing them to one another, you know. So I feel like the general mm-hmm. discourse has to be more healthy in, in terms of that. And as far as the awards itself. I just don't like, like Gabe said. There's no, there's no concrete criteria for what each award gets because I'm looking at, I'm looking at last season with Monty Williams and what he did with the Suns, them going up to 51 yeah. wins last season and having like a, a north of 70 percent win percentage, you know, in the shortened season. That's a, that's a big jump for a team that hadn't made the playoffs in, I forgot how many years prior to that, and then to come back into this season. And to jump that by 14, go from 51 to 64, like, and then for that, for that still, for there still to be like a question as to is he gonna win it, like that's because of that that great area that exists with so many of the awards to where no one really knows who's gonna win it. And then you can even look at defensive player of the year. Marcus Smart was most definitely deserving, but ever since the turn of the calendar, people act like the the Celtics weren't out of the playoffs going into the new year. Meanwhile, you got Mikael Bridges who plays, who's played every game in his career, and then of course every game this season has been, you know, I feel like I just feel like availability has to be rewarded in some way, and bringing the whole context in of the season, like the template as a whole, and not just portions of it. When comparing the finalists for these awards, it just has to be more clean. And then of course, like Josh said, putting the, and um, Gabe said as well, putting a name to these things is the most important thing because I feel like a lot of people get away with saying, like, being a homer 
or being partial to specific players because they don't have to attach their name to their votes. Versus if you have to make if you made it public, that's gonna make people hesitate on saying these things and doing these things because they gotta be held accountable. And I just feel like that that would be a great thing for just the general discourse as a whole with sports in general, but especially with basketball. And that would that would help, you know, evolve the game a long way and make conversations a lot more healthy. Well you you got you guys you guys are starting to get a little deep there. But lately, 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 they do reveal the names because every every year since they've been doing that, when they started doing the NBA award shows, that's okay. the first thing I look at when they when they drop. Okay, I want to know who's voting and I want to know how they're voting. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and I would love to see their explanations as to why. But you're right; the media does try to divide players. I watched them try to divide two best friends in Harden and Westbrook <laughs> in 1617. That was the craziest shit I ever witnessed. Man. You could go one way or the other way that year. They were both that great. But the way that they tried to pit those guys against one another, and when they were in the room in L.A., you know, conversating with one another, it was like, well, what's that for? Them dudes been on each other's things like 10 years old. <laughs> like, that's a, like, they, they, we, we, they do that. They do it. Even with Harden and Giannis, and, and you definitely have your homers. Yeah, because you you know most of the time in the Milwaukee market, yeah, Giannis got the vote in the Denver market. Yeah, Jokic got the vote in the Houston market. Yeah, Jay yeah, yep. got the vote. Yep. And that's not fair because yeah. a lot of times, and it really doesn't show until these people who have these votes, or even if it's like a national media market analyst or you know personality like let's say Stephen A. Smith and it's right. not even I'm not even talking specifically about him it's just like an example right. a lot of these people they don't watch all the games they watch <laughs> the games that are on national TV yeah and watch whoever it is that they're trying to drive a narrative for they don't watch yep. all the games and like my favorite player is Chris Paul and he had this he had this post game interview um two weeks ago to end the regular season where they were talking about Devin Booker is he the MVP he didn't give his specific answer, though obviously he was biased. But what he did suggest was that people watch the games. Like, watch, like, actually watch the games because there's no way in hell that a player the caliber of Bam out of bio should not finish top three in the defensive player of the year in the yeah. defensive player of the year race. When if you actually you could watch five, you can watch any random five Miami Heat games from this season, whether they won or lost. And you're gonna come away saying that I've never seen another defender besides Jamal Green at the four slash center position, be the hub of a defense yep. from that stature, from that position, to be able to do all of the things that he's doing that is the literally the key that unlocks the entire scheme that that defense is playing, that they're deploying. Like you can you can't not you can't watch five games and not say that Bam is not a top three um candidate for the defensive player here. And he met the I think he I think he just barely met the games play criteria. So all of the all of the whatever you can use to pin against them, all that stuff goes out and watch because if you actually watch the games, there's no way. Like he's, I know Marcus Smart won in, Mikael Bridges is deservingly second, and he arguably could have won it too. But Bam is without question the best defensive player in the league right now because of the all-encompassing skills he has. And right after him is Draymond, and then after him is probably Rudy Gobert, and then you get into the Mikael Bridgeses and the uh, Marcus Smarts of the world. But it's just they're not held accountable because they don't and they don't watch all the games and it comes out when the results come and when they have to speak on whatever topic it is, you know. So it's just not fair. Well, and then the influence what, that comes with what they have 
is what is what's the biggest problem with everything. When you when you, when you insert these narratives though into these things, there may be at times there may be a chance there may be an extra chance for a guy to win because they the media or the voters may in some way be looking to correct something or right or wrong or mm-hmm. you know just do something that hasn't been done in a while with which is what exactly what happened with defensive player of the year because mm-hmm. smart is the first player since Gary Payton to mm-hmm. win as a guard. Mm-hmm. So you know what do, what do you think about that being a factor in these sort of things whereas you know it maybe maybe it has been overdue for a guard to win that award again. If Marcus Smart was in wasn't in Boston, I don't think he'd have won it. I'm just gonna be <laughs> honest with you. Boston is a big time media market. Yep. They hold a lot what, what, of, <laughs> they hold a lot of weight. When you're on that mm-hmm. East Coast, when you're on that East Coast, you get a lot of love when you win it. Yep. You get a lot of love. It ain't no different. It ain't no different on that West Coast when you got a big West Coast market like you, Steph Curry, and you in the Bay. You know, you you it holds a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the city you play in and those media personnel, um, they 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 will back you. And I kind of get to a certain degree why some do, especially with the way some of these national media. Because in my opinion, the beat writers should have the votes yeah. more than anybody. They, they, they watch everyone. They at the game. They they at the forty one home games and the forty one road games each and every year. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they they the ones that really deserve it. So I don't, I don't knock a beat writer vote because they there. It, but yeah. the national people, yeah, you you right, Stephen. No, they don't watch no basketball hardly. They don't. They, they don't. They don't keep up with a lot of it. And it's like it's a lot of he say she say the narrative. Sometimes the narrative is cool if it's a player that's really overlooked. But it's just funny because, like, all I can think about with Jokic winning this year, which he would be a back-to-back MVP, and, and like, I just think about Harden in 18-19. I seen Harden when he had Chris Paul and he had Clint Capella for a stretch, keep them in the top three or four in the West. With all due respect, Jokic about to win an MVP and he ain't even finished top four in the West. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Team success. Cause you know you got a lot of these people who say, "Well, oh, the MVP is a, is a um." I base it off of your, your, your what you, how your team performing. People kill me right. with that. Yeah, and it, it, I think the biggest thing with this is the narrative component because even even, even when you talk about narrative, not even just for MVP races, but just in general, when you talk about pinning people against each other, they were doing it even at the draft. He yeah. tried to pin Luka, Luka Doncic against Trey Young and say Doncic is gonna be better than Trey. Yep. And look and look and look what Trey has done since he got in the league. He mm-hmm. he's done his thing. And and even even in the beginning of this season, um, when when they was going into the offseason trying to figure out, oh, who would you want to see as potential candidates for the MVP? Who's the number one guy they put up there? Luka Doncic. He always <laughs> is. Always the international player. Last exactly. year, last, last year, year, I predict somebody asked me who was gonna win MVP. You know what I told them? I said, personally, I don't know, but if I was a bet, if I was a betting man, I would bet you that Luca is the favorite to win it. <laughs> and Luca could have won it if he had just stayed healthy, even if it was a six or seven seed, just put up monster numbers. Because we love like we and I don't like international players, they great for the game, but it's like do we really love them for their game or do we love their stories? 
Let's separate. It could, it, it could be it could be some uh, instances of lowered expectations too. No, like with Luca, the the hype around Luca was so crazy. Even when I was covering Whoa. the Rockets, it was like it was like all these games. I, I saw Luca as rookie in Milwaukee. The fan base that this man had internationally was incredible. <laughs> but then not only just the fans, he had the media in his back pocket. Yeah. I never seen a rookie of the year award. I knew after 40 games, I was like, he could sit out the rest of the season. He's still going to win. <laughs> Trey had a better second half than Luka did. Yeah. But because Luka averaged 25 and 5, which is an exclusive category if you're a rookie, with damn near guarantee you the rookie of the year award, and you have all these moments, and you got these fans, and you got the media, you know, international media, it's like, oh, he going to win it. And you're right, Josh. Luka, I mean, Trey did do something Luka didn't do. Trey in his first playoff run got to the Eastern Conference Finals. Luca still ain't got out the first round. And that'd yep. be the issue. And that's why a lot of these debates on Twitter become a little bit personal. And they'd be like, well, no, like, no, you do need to point that out. Trey is who you thought Luca was. <laughs> yeah. That needs to be pointed out. Yeah. If we really gonna read the game and watch this shit between the lines, you gotta point that out. Yeah. Most definitely. Most definitely. And they hype Luca up so much, they say he's like the next best thing since dirt. Yep. Like they was literally putting this man as like the Jordan of international basketball yep. coming into this league. I remember and, that too. Yep. Yeah. And, and I got homies in Dallas that's big time Mass fans. My homeboy got his jersey signed by Luca when we was at the game. And he running down there like it's a it's a conglomerate of people. And, and I and I even go back and forth with him. I'm like, I know that's your guy. And yeah, he the face of the franchise. Luca is a bona fide star. But yeah, he came into the league with a lot of hype. And I knew a lot of guys that didn't even like him. I was, I was like, once I saw him against Houston, I, I knew at the time with, with Harden and those guys and CP, I'm like, yeah, he, he the real deal. But, like, this media thing, man, mm-hmm. it's got to be discussed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that's true. You definitely have fun. Young, sticking with the, bro- with the ATL brothers. <laughs> you know, shout out to Detroit doing this thing with the ATL, man. We got to give a shout out. Rashad Phillips has been on him from the jump. I had this yep. animal show. He mentioned from the jump, like, yo, Trey Young is the real deal. Mm-hmm. And he would take him over Luca and look and, and look what you see. Trey Young over here down there enjoying Magic City eating Lou Williams wings right now because <laughs> he then went to the Eastern Conference Finals and uh and, and lived up and lived higher expectations than what many people expected him while Luca's sitting on the bench. And then you remember you remember when they said in the draft that he was gonna be the biggest bust? Yeah. The dude led the all college basketball in total points and assists. If it was anybody else, if it was anybody else, they would have been like, oh, look at him. But Trey, nah. Like that summer league, they would be like, like, oh, he trash. He ain't going to make it. He's too small. Like, but at the beginning, it was all good. Right. I mean, even look at even look at this. Look, look, look what he did this year. The dude averaged 29 and 10. And he was not talked about all season long because of Joel Embiid and the Giannis's. Jokic and those guys. Okay, great. But they still in the playoffs. He's averaging 29 and 10. Never been done before by a point guard. Mm-hmm. And he led the league. In, he led the league in total this again. Yeah. Anything yeah. you did in college, you just did in the league this season. Yeah, this season. <laughs> and, and, but they but they quiet now, and they been quiet ever since the second half of his rookie year. Like, they really can't say nothing. And Trey been top five in assists since his rookie year in the league. Mm-hmm. Every single year, you check the stats. He was top five in points per game and assists per game his second year in the league when he got to his first All-Star game. Mm-hmm. And who, who was there with him, Luca? 
But when Luca was here in Chicago, you saw how all the press was at Luca. Yeah. Like I said, it's these double standards that we love to play for some odd reason. I know why, but I just want to hear us really open up and talk about why that truly is. <laughs> and to kind of bring it back back around to what where Kyle has started with in terms of the media having um, a propensity for trying to make up for wrongs of the past, et cetera, yep. et cetera. I mean, we could look at we could look at Steve Nat. Well, Kobe Bryant, first of all, having one MVP in his entire career. Kobe Bryant on most people's top ten of all time came away with one MVP. Like that, that's not making any sense. And the one MVP that he got, they gave to him because they realized that they did him wrong giving Steve Nash the MVP the year prior. I think so. Which too. in turn took away from Chris Paul's MVP season. So it's like you, you get where I'm going with it. Yeah. If you continue down this path of trying to right your wrongs, you're never going to catch up. You're always going to be a half step behind. So that's why it's important to establish the accountability needed to get it right the first time so that you yeah. can continue to progress and evolve. Man. Because if you're constantly trying to catch up, you know, that's a dead mission long term. And it, it goes back to the fact that everybody can't win everything. So, sure. you know, it, everybody. Some people may have to come away from their career feeling like they weren't awarded as much as they should have been. And they're going to be a, a select few who do get over, you know, overpriced. And, uh, that's why, you know, I, I, <laughs> but they did him dirty too. I mean, I think about, I think about 96, 97. Like it was some year. You, like if Larry Bird won three MVPs in a row, I know good and well Mike could have easily won three years in a row in the nineties. They just didn't like because it, it, it's something called voter fatigue. That's what I call it too. Because once you win back to back, it's hard as hell to get another one. Mm -hmm. Y'all yeah. showing it now. Mm -hmm. yeah. like, after after you win two years in a row, you might as well. Uh uh. That's why I said <laughs> last year Luca was gonna be the favorite. Giannis could have had a better year than Luca. They still was gonna give it to Luca because they get tired of you after after you win back to back. Yeah, and and I mean it's it's like I said it's, that's why it's such a rarity. And but I yeah I think it's I think it's just hard. Like like I said, I, I talked about LeBron. Like when it to maintain that standard of being the best player in the league for that many years or more. It's is just about impossible. It is so there's only a handful of players who ever could play at that sort of level for that long of a for long of a period. But you have in order to be recognized that that would mean that you that would mean that you know people who have we have our biases and everything, even professional writers and all that stuff, they would have to get over those things like voter fatigue or just you know, whatever shiny, it, whatever you know, the, the the effect that we all have when we see something shiny and new come along, or you know, think or more devious things or more sinister things. You know, we've sort of tiptoeing around. You know, the, the those things are affected. They affect us all, and uh, you know, unfortunately, it 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 leads to those awards. I don't know if you if I would call them tainted, and for the most part, I think for the most part, we year to year we typically give them to the right people, but they're typically given to the right people. But you know, there are arguments to be had, and, and as going to what Josh said, you know, 
it, we we all have different standards and different outlooks that we have towards the game and what we value and all that. But you know that it it it, it, it and it, it sort of reflects in who we root for more than others. You know, so you know, stand up for your peoples. You know, stand up. Just, just you know, uh, be secure in who you do like and what you do value, and and uh, you know, if you want to ride for Trey Young, you know that's good because he he probably gonna be going down two zero, and uh, <laughs> it looks like he's about to be down two zero. So I don't know how much more uh, he's gonna establish himself this year, but he's done a lot. He has done a lot, and he and I think I think the thing about and the last thing I'm gonna say about that. Going back to that trade and that that night, what was so what what was reasonably egregious was the fact that everybody, most people, and I will say from the, on that national level of the ESPN and NBA whatever NBA TV or whatever, they thought so much that Dallas got away with on that trade that they that they got off that they hit a lick on that trade. Yeah, but it wasn't to. It, it and it, it gives. I say it gives. It, it's a good lesson for for all y'all who haven't watched the game. You know the game or the game of basketball as much as we have. When you see so much of a narrative go shift in one direction, always ask why that's the case. Yep. And don't don't act. Don't run in that direction yourself. Do the knowledge yep. before you run in that direction yourself. Because in most cases. Those narratives are faulty, and they're bound to fall apart over time. So you know, yeah, the Hawks didn't get fleeced in that trade. They got a <laughs> franchise player of their own, and they got a guy who's they're going to keep for a long time and go to do a lot of playoffs uh, battles with. Will they win it all with Trey? I don't know. That remains to be said. But Dallas doesn't have any more of a chance to win it all just because they have Luka Doncic. <laughs> Yep. Perfectly said. My mama said she loved him. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's that's good journalism right there. Yeah. <laughs> Your mom say she loves you. Check that stuff out. But uh we go <laughs> we go uh end it on that one, y'all. Great uh great session with you guys. Uh those are the tags right there by each of their names. Gave what Gabe said, Josh, Joshua M Josh M. Hicks Media and Steven. Stay true. S dot three. Y'all keep up with these brothers doing uh you know, just follow them if, if you want to talk some good game, man. Talk you know, this is the time where you should be following brothers like this. And uh, you know, it, it makes it all the more fun to watch these games that are going on. So we gonna keep up if you whether you follow us or not, keep up with war media and you won't be stupid and you you'll have some you'll be able to educate yourself. When you aren't around people who talk the game as well as we do, you can actually use some. You're free to use some of our viewpoints if you, like, say, subscribe to War Media on YouTube and all that. So uh, follow us on Twitter and uh, and all that. And uh, you know, like I say, you could do what you want with our points. You know, you if it makes it, we we're here to spread intelligence. That's all we are. That's that's our main. That's one of our main, uh, you know, missions in life here with this show. But we'll be back on Thursday as well. Uh, you know, we'll have uh, my man Landon Buford will definitely be on. Uh, he'll give us some more what's going on from down in Dallas. And, uh, you know, we should have, so we should have my man Josh Buckhalter, 
who uh, covers the Hawks a lot. So we're going, we're going to be, we may be doing Luca, uh, <laughs> we'll be doing Luca Trey part two on Thursday because I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a Houston, I'm gonna have a Dallas guy and an Atlanta guy down, uh, you know, with a, on the show Thursday. And, uh, yo, until then, you know, like I say, keep, keep rocking with us, keep reading Steven's stuff on, uh, on the uh, War Ready page and read Josh as well. See if his picks go down the way that he expects them to. And Gabe, and keep following Gabe on Twitter and all that. And um, like I say, till next time, keep bouncing. We'll holler at y'all. Yes, sir. Peace. All right. Thank you, fellas.